while ago, someone hit her with some smelling salts and it looked like a ghost ran up and slapped her in the face. Um, for people who don't know, it, it can be pretty rough. Some of the hangups or problems that you might find with an RPE scale is that sometimes our bodies lie to us. Mm -hmm. We might be feeling great, say that was freaking easy, it happens all the time. Hey, tell me out of 10 how hard that was. Six, I go up five kilos and they get half the reps. Like, yep. wait a minute, you said six out of 10. Is it because Adrian has a glorious beard like yourself? Some might say it majestic. is 100%. Okay. I mean, look, it's I, I, I struggle to think of you as a man without a full beard. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, dare you? Jesus. Um, oh, that was savage. That and was a savage. fantastic answer. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dan. Dan. We'll chat with you later, mate. <laughs> you see these short people um, with a super wide stance. And by the time the flex comes out of the deadlift bar, then pulling the bar like three inches, it's like, what is that? What, what just, what just happened? It's a legal deadlift. So it's, 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 because it's legal. Welcome back to the big flex, everybody. Welcome back, everyone. This is uh, going to be a special edition. A special edition, which we'll run every so often. It's basically gonna be uh, the question episode. So we can call it the Big Flex um, Ask Us Anything or the Big Flex Question Everything. What do you think? Um, question Everything sounds kind of good. Question Everything. You know that, you, do you remember listening to the radio? Oh God, do you remember listening, listening to the radio? Uh, no, I don't. And people would call Because I'm not 45. People would call in and they do like uh, contests and, and all sorts of stuff like that. Are we giving anything away for this or is it just the knowledge? At the moment, it's the knowledge, but I do like the idea of giveaways and, and um, prizes and stuff People like that. Call to get live well. and things, right? Yeah, we're, 100 we're actually going to have a live call in today's episode of, of Organized with Dan that Macri. Is, so it's cool. going to be great. So basically, before we start, subscribe. Do it. Do it right now. If you're listening to this um, and you're not subscribed, uh, get over to the YouTube channel, the Strength Institute just YouTube channel. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> and subscribe. We're up to 116 subscribers. Hey, now, before up. we even kick off, up. I want to say one of our new subscribers, we actually got yeah. a, a prospective client. Now, he's going to come to a trial session with you on Monday. This guy comes into the gym yesterday, and I come out. He's like, oh, hey, I want to talk about personal training. I said, great. So we stepped into the office, and he said, you know, there's a few gyms around here. I said, there are a few gyms. Um, I could throw a stone and hit three gyms in this, on this street. But I said, they're all group training gyms, and I don't want to have a bar of that because I think it's rubbish when you have 20, 30 people running around with terrible technique, not improving, um, with two coaches in there. And the whole thing is group training is a bit easier to make money up front, so that's why a lot of gyms do it. Um, we don't. We are personal training specialty gym, so we focus on one on one, two on one, and at the very most three on one. And so I was telling him about that, and I said we actually had a few people from those gyms come to see us um, because yeah, they lose five, six, seven kilos quickly, and then their weight loss stagnates and their strength gains stagnate because they're just coasting in the background of twenty people. Yo yo. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, he seemed really interested, and I said, "Oh, where'd you hear about us from?" Because usually it's a Google search or Facebook or someone's recommended. And he, um, and he said, uh, I, I was Googling it and I came across your podcast and I initially thought, oh, he must have seen the professional podcast, the fitness <laughs> podcast where I talk to other coaches, PhD, sleep scientists and whatnot. He goes, no, no, the, the big flex. I'm like, the big flex? My dad was here. Dad starts laughing. He goes, and you still came? <laughs> I was like, like, thanks, dad. Yeah, we must be doing something right then. That's right. So um, he's booked in for a trial session with you on Monday, but um, seems like a nice guy. And if you're listening, have a great weekend and we'll see you on Monday. Thanks for watching the podcast. But everybody I'm else, looking forward to seeing you. like and subscribe. We are, we're yeah. working our way up to a thousand subscribers so we can do our big charity thousand squats um so get us there anyhow uh episode one of the question everything or subscriber questions or whatever we want to call it we'll you figure it what? out put 
put some suggestions in the comments as well. Tell us what you think a good a good name for this particular podcast should be where we just answer your questions and that's it. But you better do it. Well, they're not going to be able to do it in the comments because I'm going to have to upload for, it for next time. For next time. For Perfect. next time. Yeah. Perfect. Because I imagine that we're going to do this every now and again, right? Oh, 100%. I think yeah. every couple of podcasts would do a questions yeah, one. Yeah. Right. Anyhow, so shall we dive into it? Uh, yes. Let's get right in. Perfect. So basically, question one is actually a two-part question, um, is from Deb. And she says, uh, what are your views on training specific muscle groups to sort of sculpt the body for a certain look or get rid of like flabby areas and that's actually a two-part question um and that's not even her second question it's I'll a two-part you, question at the end of this remind me because i've got a funny story to tell about this specifically okay? okay perfect well basically um i think that it really depends on what you're trying to do with your body the the idea that you can get rid of flabby areas at will you can't unfortunately deb um is that you, can't, there, uh, you uh, can't choose fat distribution. You can't spot really. pick where, where it goes from. Your body and everybody's body is going to react a little differently and you'll lose weight percentage as a percentage from all over your body. You might lose it from your stomach very last. You might lose it from your triceps or under the arm last. It really depends on the person. Um, but you can't say, I'm just going to train triceps and then lose the fat that's here. It doesn't work that way. You're going to lose fat from everywhere yeah. at different ratios. You might train just triceps and then lose weight from your stomach. That's right. If I could figure out a way to spot lose fat, um, I would just close this gym because I'd be a kajillionaire. Yeah, exactly. Liposuction probably wouldn't yeah. exist. Right. Um, so that's sort of the, the flabby area part. Um, and what are our ideas on training specific muscle groups to sculpt the body? See you later, Tony. Uh, is uh, Tony just one of our clients leaving? Um, is... Yeah, you can, you can train specific muscle groups and bodybuilders do this all the time, right? Yep. Um, is if they feel like they're on stage and their deltoids aren't popping out, they're going to train more specifically on shoulders. So you can. Um, in <clears throat> terms of performance, I wouldn't unless there's a muscular imbalance somewhere. Yep. So for example, if someone has really round shoulders hunched forward because um, their pecs are really tight, one, we want to stretch that out, but two, we want to then strengthen all the back muscles to help open up that chest to avoid any impingements in the shoulders and whatnot. So um, I think that um, training specific muscle groups is, is good, it's important, um, but I would do it more from a functional side of things in terms of making the body move mechanically um, better mm -hmm. um, uh, as opposed to trying to pick a certain spot. And that's because I'm not a bodybuilder, I'm not getting up on stage, I'm not trying to pick different you know, muscle groups. They're very picky and they also side to side as well. Symmetry is a big thing in bodybuilding as well. So if like one pec's not big enough, they'll focus on one side even. But um, it's interesting that you say that actually from a postural perspective, if you're really rounded through your shoulders and you want to have a better physique, your physique doesn't look as good when you're all hunched over as well. So in terms of sculpting for the physique, sim simple things like balancing out your posture to make you stand more upright actually improves your aesthetic anyway. So uh, it can have small effects like that, as, as, as simple as just working on the way that you stand, but then increasing certain sizes of certain muscle groups. For that, for bodybuilding, if you just wanted a bigger chest and you just trained chest, then you'd just get a bigger chest if you didn't train anything else. Um, but then it also just doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work like that with the, the spot right. fat reduction. And if, yeah, if you are sort of, you know, self-conscious about a certain muscle group, um, definitely train that muscle group, try to make it a little bigger. Like don't be one of those guys that carries around two imaginary uh, basketballs because yeah. you don't have any lats, all right? That's yeah. fine. Just train your lats. Um, yeah. They will get bigger. That's right. Uh, and then I, I have a funny story about that, Please, actually. Please, go. Uh, so um, a little embarrassing. Um, when I was very, very young, about about it's when I first started when we first started working together ten years ago I bulged a disc in my lower back because I was doing deadlifts uh, my deadlift at the time was around like one forty ish 
for a couple of reps and I decided that I didn't like that there was a little bit of excess fat on the inside of my legs but nowhere else. And so I thought I'd swap to like wide stance adductor deadlifts, right? And so one session I walked in, I was like, you know what? Not a fan of this. I'm going to do something about it. And then tried just that and busted out. Someone was like, oh, I'm doing 140. So like maybe 120 or something like that. It's not too heavy. I'll just do some of those for a couple of reps. And I bulged a disc in my lower back. Uh, trying to do some adductor deadlifts with the main goal being spot fat reduction. And it was very embarrassing and a long-standing injury that I still deal with on the regular. Learn from me. You can't. You can't choose fat distribution. And I felt like an idiot and still do. Yeah, I didn't realize that was a thing. And it is. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Hey, hey, hey. We all learn lessons, all right? And I learned mine. And now I get to impart that knowledge onto everyone else. Perfect. Um, Deb's second question was, um, does powerlifting training always have to be about going heavier? And what about just maintain, maintaining strength and fitness? Um, what does that look like in a program? And I guess the answer there, Deb, is if you're training for powerlifting meat, then yeah, the goal is to be lifting heavier and heavier. Um, if your goal is to be as strong as you possibly can, then yeah, the, the, the training should be based around trying to go heavier and heavier so you can lift as heavy as you possibly can. Um, in saying that, I implement, and I know Adrian implements, a lot of powerlifting training into just the general strength training for a lot of our everyday clients that have no intention of ever competing. Um, and that's really, and, and the reason why is because they're such good exercises, squatting, deadlifting, bench press, chuck an overhead in there. Um, and you've got a really nice, you know, give yourself a middle back pull. You've got a really nice, um, well-rounded program. So we use a lot of powerlifting training in general strength, but even in general strength training, the goal is still to get stronger because if you're stronger, you're going to be healthier. You recover from injury faster. You're less likely to get injured. Um, you feel better about yourself. So there's a huge amount of positive effects of being stronger and stronger. Um, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, if your specific goals are to one rep lift as much as you can, then yeah, that the goal is to go heavier in terms of maintenance, um, for strength and fitness. Um, up until this year, I've been doing a lot of different skills. Like I've talked about in the podcast before now, just focusing on trying to squat heavier for the squat challenge. This is all that I'm doing. Um, but before that I used my strength and conditioning just to keep my body strong enough to handle all the other skills I was doing. And there was a lot of really explosive dynamic stuff. Like I was doing a little bit of gymnastics work, some tricking stuff, some bouldering. And then whenever I felt like it, just a bunch of other things that I don't necessarily train for, but I'm just strong enough to pick back up like that. Um, and it's just because I, I always squat kind of heavy and I keep the like six main compound moves across my training week. Um, I'm not constantly pushing heavier and heavier and heavier. I stick to a certain number that I get to and just kind of maintain the same exact thing. It goes alongside my other skills as they increase or decrease, or I, I still apply um, periodization to like my gymnastic skills, for example. Uh, but then my weight training will always stay the same because if I'm strong enough to handle the extra load or extra force that that skills training is smashing my body with, then I'll recover better and faster and I'll be able to perform better in those skills as well. So in terms of using your strength and conditioning as a general maintenance way to keep your body held together, that's kind of what I did it for. Or even if you're just not doing anything else, uh, you don't need to train heavier all the time. If you just want to kind of feel good and be able to handle life, it's good to also yeah. do those those things as well. If we get more into a bit of a technical side, basically 
if you do the same thing over and over in the gym, so let's say you have four exercises, you go to the gym twice a week and you do those four exercises on both sessions and you pick this, roughly the same weights, roughly the same reps every week, what's gonna happen is you get pretty comfortable doing those, those exercises um, and you'll probably start to plateau a little bit because you're go not getting any new stimulus. Um, and basically, if in order to improve, you need to adapt, you need to overcome a new stimulus, and that usually means going heavier. But it doesn't have to be going heavier. It can be intensity, so it could be by changing the reps, it could be by changing um, how heavy you lift, it could be just changing the emphasis of the lift. So the range of the lift? Yeah, so, so basically, if you were... Deficits, something if, like that? Yeah, if you were looking at more at, at just maintaining strength and fitness, and you had a couple sessions that you're really comfortable with, what I would recommend is as long as you have a well-balanced routine um, in a month or in six weeks or in eight weeks to change that routine, not necessarily go on heavier or more reps if you're just happy to coast and cruise doing what you're doing, um, but, but let's say you change a military press with a dumbbell shoulder press and if you change a bench press with an incline bench press and you change a seated row with a pendlay row yeah, you and you change a, a squat to a hex bar deadlift, well, you're still doing a squat, a push, a pull, an overhead, yep. still a well-rounded program. Um, but just by changing those exercises, you're introducing new stimulus without necessarily going heavier. And you might actually still improve that muscle group strength overall. Yep. So that's a way that you could sort of just maintain, but not be super, get stuck in just doing the same thing year round. Because that's what I did when I was in my maintenance phase for strength training. It was just two days a week and it was three lifts on either day. And those three lifts changed every eight weeks. And that was that. It was really simple, really easy to get through. It wasn't tiring me out too much for my other stuff. I was able to do everything else I wanted to as well. So, yeah, that's Perfect. sort of what uh, a maintenance would look like, keeping up like 50%, 60% of your, your max strength somewhere around there. And, um, yeah, backing it way off. So I think Deb's training now four days a week in her program. It would be half that and almost half the intensity. Yeah, but, but in saying that um, – Deb's not doing that because we're going to try to get her to do a powerlifting meet next year. I know. Isn't that right, Deb? Isn't that right? Embrace it. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to um, skip Megan's for a minute because that's a bit of a longer one. And we actually have, um, let's see, a fair bit of sumo questions were asked here. So the first sumo question is because okay. on this post – um, when I said, ask me a question on the Instagram, it's a picture of me in a sumo stance and I was practicing that variation. And a uh, guy, uh, member and client here, he said, I thought sumo was banned in the gym. Now, sumo is not banned in the gym, guy. How dare you? Yeah. How dare you, sir? Uh, although, people, although yeah. I thought it was banned as well. <laughs> not, not like rules, banned by the rules. But every time I mentioned it, so much salt would come at me that I could barely breathe. Yeah. So everyone's so salty about sumo deadlifts. First of all, before you even answer this, why do people not like, let me see if I can get the answer right first. Why do people hate sumo deadlifts? Is it because people like you who are tall and have to reach so far to grab the bar find it difficult versus people like young Tito out here who is this tall and reaches this far to grab the bar and when he gets to his sumo deadlift will be able to deadlift the planet? Is it like a... A, simply just a biomechanical thing that some people are salty about, or no, what I don't. Is it that I don't think don't it's. Like? I don't think it's a salty thing. And and the reason why is I actually only just started deadlifting um, this year, actually just a few months ago, and sumo deadlifting. Um, I always was a conventional puller, and I still am a conventional puller, but I use sumo now as a supplementary exercise. Mm -hmm. um, the reason why I think a lot of people are salty is because they see like yeah, probably partially that they see these like smaller dudes generally. 
um, or ladies. Just shorter, right? Shorter. And they, it's all about maximizing leverages. So it doesn't have to be shorter. It's got to do with proportions as well. Yep. Like if you have a, uh, a taller torso but short limbs, you're really suited for sumo because you're in a more upright position. Whereas you're a conventional, you lean further forward, you have a longer lever arm between your shoulders and your lower back pivot point. So then all this extra strain to your back. Where if you're sumo and you're like this because you have a tall body, way less strain to the lower back, right? So it does come down to <clears> leverages too. Um, obviously, the longer the arm, the better for any type of sumo because you pick the bar up um, less distance. Um, but I think what they see is you see these short people um, with a super wide stance. And by the time the flex comes out of the deadlift bar, they're pulling the bar like three inches. It's like, mm. what is that? What, what, just, what just happened? It's a legal deadlift. So it's, is it's, it because it's legal. do people get salty? For I, example, are you salty because you can't do it? No, because my sumo is improving a lot. And when I first changed over to sumo, I had to take a significant step back down in weight. Exactly. Because if you don't, you'll bulge a disc in your back. Yeah. <laughs> I had to take a significant step back down in weight um, because it was like different muscles working and it was tough. And I was like, all right, got to figure this out. And, and I'm still figuring it out because I have weird positions sometimes. Um, the reason why I was not, again, I was not, the reason why I hesitate to teach someone straight up sumo is because I think that they should learn a conventional deadlift first yeah. before like, I want to max out my leverages. All right, well, if we max out everything, where do we go from there? Like, let's start with conventional, mm. all right? Get a good base because you've got to remember a conventional deadlift, you're still taking principles from your squat, from bracing, from breathing, all these different things. Um, you're applying them to conventional. All right, and now now that you've got a you know how to conventional deadlift, let's go to sumo. There's no nothing wrong with doing sumo, and it's definitely not cheating. People say sumo is cheating. It's not cheating. Yeah, you pick salt, it, hey, so if, much salt. If you hold onto the bar and you pick that weight up, you've deadlifted that weight. Mm -hmm. All right, as long as you've abided by the rules, you've mm -hmm. done that weight. Um, as far as I'm concerned, um, but I think I think that it's it's important to learn. I think the conventional deadlift is a better show of all round strength because you're actually having to pick that bar up further. Right. Yeah, I, th I think as well, there's a lot less mobility involved. You actually do need to be quite mobile through your hips and to, to hit yes. a certain position. And for a beginner, especially someone who maybe might not have that mobility, it's, I would say, a lot riskier in terms of just the general uh, general risk of injury if you're going to start lifting heavy. A conventional is a much safer place to start right. as well. But it's also a bigger hinging movement, so more hip drive on a conventional. Um, whereas like uh, when you squat... If you're high bar versus low bar, um, you might get some really deep sit back squatters that hinge more, but it's a different sort of movement. Whereas when you're doing a conventional deadlift, it's more of a hinge. And that's an important um, muscle. Like it's important to learn how to activate those muscles properly because we yep. do an extension to the hips like a lot in athletic um, feats. I just think it's important to teach conventional first. And then if someone wants to really maximize all the leverages, yeah, we'll go into sumo then. Cool. But like you're saying, you know, it's one step, walk before, crawl before you walk. Yeah, essentially, right? Yeah. Perfect. Cool. Guy, that's your answer. Not banned, but I want to see it done responsibly, sir. Okay. Plus, you know, you don't even deadlift that much, guys. So why don't you learn how to <laughs> normal deadlift first before you worry about sumo? Oh, um, oh hold on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, carrying on with more sumo questions um, is that Fiona said, what's the difference between muscles worked in conventional versus sumo? And I think we just sort of touched on it a little bit. Basically, in a sumo stance, you are a little bit more upright. You're not going to hinge as much. So it's a bit more quad drive involved uh, at the start mm -hmm. um, and less like lower back. You're still working posterior chain. You're still working your back. You're still working your glutes, hammies, quad. Everything's still working. A lot, Basically the same muscle groups, just different emphasis. Um, like Adrian was saying before, you have this wider stance. You need to have that hip mobility. You need to have more flexible adductors. There's a lot of just subtle differences like that. But in terms of prime movers, it's the same. 
maybe a little bit more quad drive through the sumo, um, maybe a little bit more back as you're hinging up on a normal deadlift, a conventional stance. Would you say that there's you need much stronger? Because I've heard it's called adductor deadlifts before as well, instead of sumo deadlifts. It's like more commonly known as, I'm not sure if it's more commonly known as, but adductor deadlifts. I'm not sure because when I was playing rugby, one of our pre-injury um, uh, sort of screenings was you had to basically squeeze this thing between your legs and it tested your adductor strength. Mm -hmm. And people you know with weak adductors are more likely to have injury during the season, mm -hmm. um, groin injury during the season. So we did that. And mine wasn't actually particularly strong, much stronger quads and glutes, right? But my adductors weren't that great. Um, and I had no trouble with adductors um, when I've been sumo deadlifting. I think for me, it was more about the flexibility getting into the position rather than the strength of the adductors. So okay. I still think that the initial drive is mainly quad and then glutes and hips as we're driving those hips through the top half of the rep. Cool. So you yeah. don't think that there's that much of a difference between the sets of muscles. It's more just a, a, a flexibility, like range of motion. I think it's a range of motion thing, and I think there is a difference, but it's more an emphasis. I think all the same muscles are working, but yep. there's more emphasis. Yeah, a little bit to the adductors and in, in, in the sumo, but um, I think it's just more emphasis of which muscles are working a little harder. Cool. So I hope that answers that, Fiona. There you go, Fiona. Um, basically, we'll come back to this one. Oh, all right. So Lewis asks. <laughs> so <laughs> this one I'm blaming Gavin because Gavin. That is a. We'll come back I can't to believe anyway. you wrote that down. Yeah, Gavin. Um, <laughs> Uh, he got me into, he wanted to get into equipped lifting. And I was like, well, I can't teach him because I don't know how to do it. So now I'm learning equipped lifting as well so I can help coach Gavin through it. And I'm uh, relying on um, some real uh, stalwarts of the equipped lifting community like uh, Nathan Baxter. Every time I have a question, I just ask him a question. And basically, you squeeze yourself into these tiny little, um, feels like Kevlar suits. And, uh, it looks like a Kevlar. Yeah, it's. It, I don't know how I even squeeze into it. You have to use these things to slip in. Anyhow, once you're finally in there, you're very much wedged and uh, squeezed on in there. And Louis says, so what direction do you point your junk uh, in that suit? Uh, up, down, is it left, is it right? And the answer to that, Louis, is just whatever way fits because <laughs> it's not comfortable. It you want to get your session done and get out of there and still have kids later down the track. So <laughs> thank you for your question. We want... Talk too much it more on that one. It changes every time. It changes every time. So depends on how the wind is blowing. I wasn't laughing at that. I was laughing at oh, Dan's, at Dan's, at Dan's Well, question. we're going to talk to Dan in about five minutes. So All we'll right, hang we'll, on on we'll that one. That okay. One. I believe okay. there was one more deadlift. Yep. Ben. Thanks, Ben. Ben says, how does it feel to have the second biggest deadlift in your gym? <laughs> well, thanks, Ben. Who's got the biggest? Uh, ben has the biggest, oh. uh, only oh. because. Oh. Uh, what, yeah. Good question. Yeah, right. Thanks, Ben. Uh, basically, first of all, Ben. I have a bigger deadlift than you, just not in this gym yet. Oh, Secondly, well, I mean, if it's not written up on the board, it's not it on didn't the board. happen, right? So, if so, facto, Ben has a bigger deadlift. Ben has than the bigger deadlift. I'm just saying, you hold tight you, you, until the end of the year because then your deadlift is not going to be the biggest on the board anymore. Am I salty Ooh. about it? A little bit. Um, <laughs> uh, is my ego hurt? No, my e ego is like the juggernaut. It cannot be stopped. Yes, so, the answer is yes. Ego yes. Is my ego <laughs> yes. is my ego is severely damaged. How dare cue the thing? Uh, cue it. There. How dare you, Ben? Uh, uh, revel in this victory of yours. Enjoy it while it lasts. You're a dog, sir. All right, now, on to the next question, which is going to lead into the phone call to Dan. Uh, Bobby asked about protein supplements and protein shakes. He said, you know, oh, what's yeah, the deal? Yeah. Like so, timing? Hey, Should hey, I bro, have them before? What protein powder do you take? How many times have you been asked that question in your life? A lot, right? A lot. Um, you know, what time do you take it? Um, does it matter? Like there's lots of different types. Does that matter? And I was like, you know what? I know some of these questions, answers to these questions, but I don't know all of them. So basically my thoughts on protein shakes and supplements. It is called a supplement because it should supplement your normal diet. All right. 
I don't use protein shakes as a um, replacement for a meal. No. I supplement my diet with it. Nothing beats wholesome actual food. That's right. And the, the number one um, reason is uh, uh, bioavailability. All right. So basically, um, whole foods have lots of different minerals and vitamins and all sorts of stuff in them. And certain things help other things absorb. Mm. So when you have a multivitamin, it is not going to absorb anywhere near as efficiently as if you were to have the whole fruit that that vitamin is found in. And it's the same with protein. So if you eat steak, you are going to get more quality protein than you would from a protein shake. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's the first line. So why do people have protein then? Well, it's hard to eat kilos and kilos of steak every day. Yeah, so if you I want, disagree. <laughs> right? If you're going carnivore diet, you disagree. <laughs> but basically, if you want to um, increase your protein and you just can't physically eat it all, and it's easy to drink some, protein shakes are fantastic for that. Mm -hmm. In terms of when to have them, um, you basically can only absorb a certain amount of protein at any one time. Yes. Um, so you don't want to just have all your protein in one shot, you want to sort of try to spread it out over the day a little bit so more of it absorbs and you can then be more readily available during your protein synthesis when you're actually building that muscle. There's lots of different stuff about this as well. If you read about it online. It's called nut uh, nutrient um, <coughs> timing or yeah. like, um, or so like nutrient windows. the most like accurate way of, of describing that. There's, there's so many other things like eat five times a day and it boosts your metabolism. There's no real science behind that. Like intermittent fasting. Also can boost your metabolism, right? But yeah, that, that's yeah. what I mean. Well, and that's where you eat once or twice a day. You know what I mean? So there's, there's lots of different, uh, lots of different information coming out, especially in the last, I would say like five years, there's just all these new diets and all this stuff coming out. Um, so I, I would stick to the, the thing that is the most sensible. And I 100% agree with that. You can only absorb so much of any one anything at any one time. So usually if you have too much of it, you just pee it out and it's wasted. So you could have a whole bunch of it, like right after you train, like people say, and just have like two protein shakes, three protein shakes. It, you just, your body just gets rid of it, right? So if you can only absorb so much at any one time, that's Try pretty much exactly the best way. It's why you don't eat all of your meals in one meal. You eat a couple times a day across the course of the day. Same sort of concept. That's right. And so what we're going to do for the second half of the question is we're going to call Dan Macri. Um, he is a two-time runner-up Australia Strongest Man. He is a multi-time WA Strongest Man. I believe he placed third in the Southern Hemisphere Strongest Man. He's a savage. He uh, is going to be going for the Australian record uh, yoke at 620 kilograms this December Ooh. at Record Breakers. Um, and he also uh, is the manager at Nutrition Warehouse in, I believe, Canning Vale. Could be Cannington. We'll double check that in a sec. And he said to give him a call and he's going to talk to us a little bit about types of protein because there are. You have whey isolate, whey concentrate, you have blended protein, you have pea protein. There's all sorts of protein. And the truth is, Bobby, I don't know the difference of all these proteins. I'm going to call the supplement man himself right now. I know that they're cheese. That's all I know. Yeah. Ooh. And uh, we are running this. You can hear that, right? Yeah. 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 Through the uh, podcast app here. We're going to wait for Big Dan to, uh, gonna... to pick up. Come on, Dan. Don't fail us now. If he misses this one, um, we will get him back on because he, uh, he did agree to this. Ah, here he is. Dan. Sorry, two, seconds. two seconds. All right, hey man, how's it going? Good, good, mate. You are live on the Big Flex podcast Welcome right to now. The Big Flex. All right. Um, so basically, Con confirming Dan, we're, we're talking about why Adrian is more attractive than Nevin, yes. right? That's, first of all, Dan, that is why I laughed so hard earlier. That is a great question, and I'm glad someone asked it. Now, Dan, we, we're going to actually circle back to that question. Um, but the, the, the main that, people ask other questions. Like, when did that happen? Was that sorry? 
People actually ask other questions. Like I, I assume the whole podcast know, was about that question. It baffles me. It baffles me. This is the only one I want the so answer. So basically, to. one of our clients here, Bobby, he asked about protein shakes. He was asking, you know, when the best time to have them is, and protein supplements, and why we should have them. And then there's different types. You have concentrate, isolate, uh, blended proteins. You have pea protein. Is there anyone that reigns supreme? And I basically yep. um, was saying, look, you know, if you can eat whole foods, you're going to have more. Um, bioavailable protein from those whole foods, but supplements like protein powders are fantastic if you do want to boost your protein. Now, I said in terms of timing and the types, I said I'm going to refer to the big man himself, Dan Macri, who is the manager. And let me get, was it Canning Vale Nutrition Warehouse or Canning Town? Yes. Canning Vale. Canning vale. So, guys, if you need any supplements and you are south, uh, head to see Big Dan Macri at Nutrition Warehouse Canning Vale. He will sort you out big time. So can you just drop some knowledge on us on, on supplement timing? And then also, what type of protein reigns supreme in your opinion? All right, I'll, I'll roll back a bit for a second and explain about um, how protein absorption is kind of judged as well. So there actually is a scale which they use for assessing how easily you can absorb a protein. And egg is given a score of 100. Now, it doesn't really mean much other than that's just what they use as kind of the standard to assess it off. Cool. For the most part, foods are actually lower than that. They absorb slower. So things like, say, a piece of steak will take 55 hours to fully digest. That's often due to fats and other things that are you know, in there as well. Um, it has a score of about 70. Now, that doesn't mean that steak's bad. It just means that once you have that question about timing a protein, it's when do you want to have a particular thing? So things like your whole foods, and look, once again, quickly say this, at least 80% of your diet should be whole foods. You, know, you cannot rely on protein shakes to be a diet. It's my job, and I get direct commissions for selling them. But I'm never going to advocate, you know, using a protein shake over having a piece of steak. Now, you go, when do we actually really need a protein shake? Honest truth is we never need one, but it's often more convenient to have one. Um, most useful time to have one, 100%, is straight after a workout. So something like a whey isolate often has an absorption sort of score somewhere in 170 to 190, depending on purity of amount of fats of the stuff that are, that are in there. And obviously, okay, that anabolic window of 30 minutes isn't 100% correct, but there is some truth to the fact that you want to get as much in as quickly as you can after your workout. And a way isolate will actually also cause an equivalent insulin response to what pure glucose would, which obviously increase all other, uh, all other nutrient uptake immediately after your workout as well. And insulin is actually the most anabolic hormone yeah. that we have, so you're going to get the biggest muscle-building response from that. I agree. Those, di well. those, di those di diabetics are dirty cheaters. <laughs> so, Dan, you <laughs> were saying, um, you're saying isolate. There are different types of protein that you can get in protein yep. powders. Would you quickly, for people who don't know, um, me included because it gets confusing sometimes, explain the difference between the different types of protein that are in protein powders? All right. So when it comes to um, your whey-based protein, yep. you've got three types. So isolate, concentrate, and casein. Mm -hmm. Now, they're all milk derivatives. Um, they're all complete amino profiles, and it really comes down to absorption time. So an isolate is fully absorbed within 10 to 30 minutes. Yep. A concentrate is two to four hours, mm -hmm. and a casein is generally about eight hours. Like I said, it comes down to, just like any tra training program, specificity. So with an isolate, the two times you're going to be the most beneficial to have it mm -hmm. is one, straight after your workout, or two, first thing in the morning. Okay. So your requirements for, for food first thing in the morning are almost similar to straight after working out because you're depleted. You just haven't eaten for eight hours. Okay. Now, okay. concentrates are kind of your jack of all trades. Use it as a snack, filling gaps here and there. It's still quick enough 
and that it will have a good effect after you work out. But it's kind of like it's, 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 it's you know, it, it fits all purposes reasonably well, but it doesn't do anything specifically the best. So it's kind of like Case, the right bang in the middle, the gold standard one that you can have if you're not sure of, of what you should have. It kind of does, it does a little bit of everything, right? Exactly. And it also, and it also becomes the, the most versatile because you go, hey, you know, I want to protein in the snack throughout the day. I want something straight, you know, sometimes I want something straight after my workout. And, you know, you know, and I do want to, you know, a healthy snack to keep me full at night. Yep. Do you really want to go out and buy three different protein powders or are you just going to buy one and, you know, you're fine? You know, hey, you're trying to make the Olympics or jump on the, you know, or, or get to World's Strongest Man. Like maybe you go out and buy everything and optimize everything as much as possible. But for 90% of people, probably not worth the extra investment in having three different kinds of protein powders. Concentrate right. is what I'm going to recommend to 90% of people. Cool. Casein's the third one, like I said, is um, it's, it's just slow absorbing. So for the most part, if you're either A, really struggling to gain weight, or B, you know, if you're dropping weight and you're waking up feeling really super hungry, you'll have a casein just before bed, absorbs over eight hours, and it's just going to keep you sort of constantly being fed during that period of time. Other than that, you've also got, like you said, your, um, your plant-based proteins. Now, there's nothing magic about plant proteins, unfortunately. They're just a protein from a non-dairy source. <laughs> yeah, um, for the most part, plant proteins as an individual plant protein are not as good as a whey protein. And it just comes down to the fact that they've got less total amino acids. So less total amino acids means less total absorption or the fact that you then need to, say, supplement in additional amino acids to get that complete absorption. A lot of plant proteins that you find now are blends of different plants. Um, so you're getting that more complete amino profile in there, and that does give you a fast absorption. And it's sort of in terms of how well it absorbs overall is somewhere between a concentrate and a casein. It's going to vary depending on specifically what plants they are, how grainy they are. And it also comes down to other fats, carbs, you know, everything else that's in the mix there. As well, sure. So those vegans, they can just keep their plant protein. We'll stick with the uh, with the ways. For the most part, yeah. Perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of like when you should have them, like I said, it's find where you where you are missing your protein in, in you know in your lifestyle. That's that's the, yeah. the simplest answer. So it's you know, different. If you so struggle- what you're saying is it's different for every single person. Exactly. I mean, if you're, if you're struggling to get a good solid breakfast in, you know, you don't want to, you know, you don't have time in the morning to sit there and cook a plate of eggs and bacon have a protein shake then, you know, if you're doing well, you know, getting food in all the rest of the time, but you're just looking to optimize your recovery, get an isolate in straight after your workout and don't worry about having a protein shake at any other time. It's just find what's actually going to help you do better. Don't be taking your protein powder for the sake of taking a protein powder. Yeah. Nice. Really good advice. Thanks very much for that, Dan. We really appreciate it. And uh, on, on a final note there, Dan actually asked, he goes, why is Adrian um, better looking so much? I think he said so much better, but I'm just going to cut that. Why I, is Adrian better looking? I have a, specula- a speculative answer. Oh, yeah. I, I think I know the answer. All it right. is this glorious beard. Hey, is it? Is <laughs> it? it is. is it because? Um, is it because Adrian has a glorious beard like yourself? Some might say it majestic. is. 100%. Okay. I mean, look, it's, I, I, I struggle to think of you as a man without a full beard. <laughs> How dare you? Jesus. Oh, um, that was savage. That and was a savage. fantastic answer. Thanks so much, Thanks, Dan. Dan. We'll chat with you later, mate. <laughs> Pleasure, guys. I'll speak to you soon. Catch you later. Um, now, in, in saying that, oh, in, no, just, you just, in saying just, that, just a great You can guy, keep your damn beards. <laughs> you can keep your damn beards, all right? Uh, still, fantastic answer. I'm glad we went over that um, with him as well. Look, to be fair, it's uh, not a high bar to get over. What? 
just being better looking than me. It's, I don't know. <laughs> oh, if it, come on, buddy. I don't, I don't, don't know be like that. If, I don't know if it's an insult to me or a compliment to you or somewhere in between. But either way, I'm happy with both. That's all right. You're happy with both. Know? Right. So actually, this is a good time to um before we get back into the training questions, is um one of my friends over in the U.S. Uh, let me tell you a little story, Adrian. Um, is that my mum's side of the family is from the States, as you well know. Yeah. And uh, I spent a fair bit of time going back um, to, to the US to visit when I was you know, growing up. Mm -hmm. And my grandma at the time lived in Wisconsin. And so I met a lot of friends over there um, over the years of traveling back every second year, every third or fourth year. And you see these people and sort of knew, knew each other since we were really little, yeah. um, but with long breaks in between. Anyway, Andrew is one of the gang over there. And uh, when I moved back to the US, Actually, I spent the summer there in 2010 with my grandma. She was a bit unwell. Mm -hmm. And then I came back um, and I ended up then moving back to the States for about a year to play rugby in Chicago. And, and a lot of my friends in Wisconsin um, borders Illinois. So a lot of my friends had moved to uh, Chicago for work. And Andrew was one of them. And, and, and I basically had this really good routes going with them all was that drop bears are real. It's, it's, that's one of those things I got to say is just the best collective joke that Australia tells yeah. on the rest of the world. Yeah. It's so good. And it's it's and I don't even feel a little bad about it because uh you know what? It's funny. It's, it's funny. really funny. It's and, hilarious. Um, and so basically I had a few people go on for a little while that drop bears were like, no, like we're Googling it, it says it's not real. I'm like, that's what they tell you. Mm. Um, they don't mm. want to, you know, can't decimate the tourist in industry. Like, people have been people have been setting up like lots of fake news online about it. So now, if you bears, search right. for drop bears, there's like half and half. Half yeah. is like, oh, it's a joke. And, so and then the people, half is like, there's legitimate stats. Yeah. There's like habitat, livestock. It's, and people have been yeah. really getting in on the joke. For people that don't know what a drop bear is, it's basically like a, like a, a demented zombie koala that drops from the from the, the trees and tries to savage you yeah. it's a little cute like a bear mix between a, a, a koala bear and a grizzly bear that just waits for tourists like, and trees exactly yeah and uh and basically you know we, we had them going on that, there, that there's uh, drop bears and he he sent a question in um and it's saying how um have the drop bears been affected by covid <laughs> and i said probably about as bad as our chlamydia ridden koalas have yeah so, and if that's something you don't know about Look into that. Actually, actually, this is hilarious. Um, there's a show called Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, and there's this whole thing that he go, he does a back and forth with uh, Russell Crowe. Um, he, he does a whole thing about koalas and chlamydia. It's actually a very big problem. It's huge problem. Um, there's a, a whole wing of a hospital, uh, animal hospital, dedicated to koalas and their chlamydia because it's uh, like it runs rampant. And it's, uh, it's I've like heard a big deal. Over the next few decades, they're at risk of going extinct, not just from climate, but from other things. They're, they're so slow moving. When yeah. we get these giant bushfires, it wipes out like entire populations. So. But also the chlamydia must suck. If that's one of the biggest threats to your species. I don't think they care. They are so high from eating eucalyptus <laughs> all day. <laughs> they, they're just like, they whatever, man. That's also why. They fall out of trees a lot. Yeah. They're just goofy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I you mean, would be too if you know, were really high. Anyhow, yeah. um, the drop is, um, look, the drop is, Secretly, that's probably what started COVID. So they're doing just fine. They're doing just fine. <laughs> the, uh, the drop bears are doing as well as they ever have. That The, the drop bear legend will never die. That's going to stay around forever. That's, that's right. Fantastic. Thanks for the question, Andrew. But All the way from the US, guys. Bears, it is fake. Fake, it's fake news. It's fake news. Is that Trump? That is Trump. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, all right, we're down to our final three questions. And there's actually a little bit of explaining to do with each of them. So which one do you want to touch on first? Megan, Gavin, or Byron? <sighs> Let's have a look. Um, that's a good one. Okay, stop tapping the table, man. These mics pick up everything. Oh, my God. I reckon we should start here. Start with Byron? Yep. Okay, so Byron asks, what are the core differences in powerlifting federations? Is it like the bar, the equipment, the rules? Um, and he also asks, what is our favorite accessory to include in all of 
uh, programs. So I guess we'll, we'll answer the accessory work. Second, um, federation, core differences. So unfortunately in powerlifting, one of the biggest problems with it, um, and this is just as a casual fan, um, is that there are just heaps of federations. Um, there's not one united federation. Like I believe weightlifting is just International Weightlifting Federation and that just has competitions all over the world and it's run with the same rules, same equipment, right? I, mm -hmm. I believe that if I'm wrong, I apologize. Um, but powerlifting, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of federations. Even in Australia alone, we have Powerlifting Australia, Australian Powerlifting Union, um, Australian Powerlifting Association, GPC, KPO. It's like we have five federations. We have like why? 16 people that live in Australia. Why do we have five federations? <laughs> why is that though? Um, because they all have slightly different rules and they all broke away from different federations and had. So basically. Did it start off as one? I don't have a huge amount of the origin story of powerlifting, mm -hmm. but I know that the biggest federation in the world um, is the IPF, that's the International Powerlifting Federation. And they have affiliate federations in all the different countries. So in Australia, it used to be Powerlifting Australia. And that means it runs under the IPF rulebook mm -hmm. and it can compete at IPF World Championships. Since then, they lost the affiliate for a while and Australian Powerlifting Union came in and then I think there was a court case and so there's, now there's two IPF affiliates and it's, it's a bit of a mess. So IPF, let's just call that, is one of the biggest ones in the world. It is um, drug tested. Um, I use quotes because just like any tested sport, there's going to be cheaters anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think different countries test different amounts of people. So mm -hmm. any, regardless, they're trying, to get, they're trying to get powerlifting into the Olympics. That's their goal. And to do that, you need to have X amount of clean tests per X amount of tests done. And they're trying to make it really clean cut. Whereas some of the other federations may be a little bit looser, like you can use a bigger variety of equipment um, and there's slightly different rules. So I guess we'll say the core differences come in equipment, like what is allowed to be used mm -hmm. and some rule variations. That's probably the main differences and, and whether it's tested or untested. I don't know... APA is meant to be tested here in Australia, but it's not an IPF affiliate. But IPF is the biggest tested federation in the world. So I guess that would be your headlining one. All right, what are the core differences? You either drug test or you don't drug test. All right, that's yep. the first big difference. The next difference would be rules. In IPF, there are a couple of rules that aren't universal with the other um, federations. So when you bench press, your feet have to be flat. You so can't, no heels raised. Your heels cannot be raised. They have to be flat the whole okay. time. Whereas GPC Capo, you can have you can have flat foot or you can have your heels raised. Okay. All right. That's one. That's basically the biggest difference in bench. Mm -hmm. Squatting is basically the same. I'd say squatting and deadlifting are basically the same. I want to say one of the only rule differences comes in that positioning on the bench. Some federations let you lift your head forward. Um, and IPF, you have to keep your head back the whole time on the bench. You have to be in contact the whole time. Not huge changes. Though. Not huge changes. So you, some people might say that different federations have different ideas on what depth is in a squat. Like, okay. <laughs> all right, okay. some. It seems like the more I learn about that, it seems like that is a very subjective matter. It's meant to be the top of the knee has to be higher, or so let's say the, the top of the hip at the hip crease has to be lower than the top of the knee to get below a parallel squat. But it seems like different. Even different judges have different. Yeah, it's for that. It, unfortunately it's very sub subjective and. It would be really hard to make an objective one without some sort of like, you know, putting little electrodes on people and actually mapping it out. Looking at their actual and, and the problem is you get squat, you get yeah. some super heavyweights. Um, I'm not sure could even make depth just because of the proportions of their body, like their legs and hips are so big, but mm. they get, you know, white lights because it's 
close maybe like i don't know and yeah, some super heavyweights can get real low exactly and that's what i mean as well like every single person's body is different yeah so there's so many different variations of, of people who compete right. in these events it must be hard to just have one one standard for every person right so that that would be um the main difference in in the, in the rule book in terms of like technique um i do have one question about that actually yeah. so so those are the differences in tested untested and then the, the differences in the, the way a couple little call, variations in call lifts. So the, the, the yeah, how they judge lifts, let's say, because the calls are all the same. It's like squat and rack. Yeah. It's just like ra- uh, a down on a deadlift, and it's like start press and rack for a bench press. So the calls are the same. So Slight then, little variations in the, in what's allowed. What about the equipment that you can yes. use? So, so that's called raw or equipped lifting. So I wanted to specify that for a lot of people who don't know. So raw doesn't mean. I used to think that raw just meant I walk up with my shoes on and I lift. Obviously wearing clothes too, but that's it. No closer, no straps, wraps, sleeves, anything, right? But that's not actually what raw is. And no, so this is where, again, you get some core differences in federations. So in IPF, raw lifting is you're allowed to wear knee sleeves, mm-hmm. which is just like a neoprene sleeve that goes over your knees, keeps them warm, a little bit of compression, but doesn't give you a heap of lockout power. Mm-hmm. And uh, a belt, that is raw. Shoes? Yeah, yeah, shoes. Yeah. You, you have to wear shoes. Yeah, and the, so you the can, height for shoes is very specific as well. No, I, it's just the standard sort of heel wedge that you find on weightlifting shoes or powerlifting yep. shoes, right? Um, you're allowed to wear a belt. The belts are basically the same everywhere. You can be 10 or 13 mils thick or, or, or less, I believe, um, 10 centimeters uh, across. And um, and that's, you know, you're allowed to wear levers or, or buckle mm-hmm. prong belts. So the, the belt itself is is pretty standard. And then um, the sleeves themselves are only allowed to be like specced for. I believe it's seven, seven millimeters thick. And Something you're not allowed like to have it. sticky stuff on the inside. Like it can't be like grippy. Yeah. All right. Um, so that's the main, the main, um, what's raw in IPF. In basically all other federations, instead of knee sleeves, knee wraps are allowed, which are those long elastic straps um, that you can stretch out. And they give you a lot of lockout oh, power and a lot. lot of rebound power out of the bottom of your squat. And that with a belt would be considered raw. Now also, you're also allowed wrist wraps to like stiffen up your wrist. That's allowed in IPF and- So um, wrist wraps for benching, but not for deadlifts. Correct, for bench pressing and for squatting. Um, you're allowed to wear them yep. to stiffen up your wrist. Um, the, the knee wraps that are raw on like KPO and GPC, um, they're the ones that we've been training with because our squat is going to be GPC. I wouldn't consider that raw myself. Uh, that's that's pretty. It gives you quite. I, a bit I wouldn't on consi- your squat. So I wouldn't consider it raw until I put on a squat suit, <laughs> um, <laughs> equipped lifting. Yeah, and that's a whole other ball game itself. Um, that's like jamming jamming yourself into an almost. Kevlar suit with almost no flex and only being able to actually move through a range of motion with an ungodly amount of weight on the bar. Yes. So, but I, I agree. I think if I think raw, I think of just, you know, uh, a belt. Um, yep. But again, this is sort of what's been predetermined. So there's a core difference for you there, Byron. Basically, raw in what you're going to be competing in, GPC, is knee wraps, wrist wraps, and a belt. You'll be allowed to wear those things. So wraps are allowed in GPC? Yes, wraps are allowed in cool. GPC. Right. In right. IPF, it's sleeves only, right. unless you're doing equipped. Okay. And then in terms of the equipment that you use, basically um, the in IPF, you have to walk out your squat, which means you have to physically unrack it from a combo rack and step back, mm-hmm. get yourself set, and then hit your squat. Whereas in other federations, they use something called a monolift. And a monolift, you basically stand up on the spot and someone swings your arms out for you and you can just squat on the spot and they put the arms back. Usually a hydraulic sort of system, right? You can pump it up and down for heights with hydraulics and then you just, yeah, little mechanical arm swings forward and back. Um, So that's the main difference in the equipment used on a squat. Um, On a bench press, it's usually going to be a very standard uh, 
combo rack. So it's just like a, a, a bench press, you know, spec for competition. Um, so that's basically the same in both. Mm -hmm. Uh, the the weights that you use are going to be the same in both. They have to be calibrated weights, which mm -hmm. means they are actually what they say. You actually get a fair bit of variation in different different equipment. So um, let me just plug that back in. So basically, if you just go down to your local Orbit Fitness and grab uh, a bunch of twenty kilo weights, they're not all going to weigh twenty. You get no, something like nineteen point eight, nineteen point nine, and twenty point one. Um, calibrated plates are what they say. They are calibrated. Um, so all comps use calibrated plates. The problem with IPF. Um, is that, and I'm not sure if it's the same with other federations, is that they have an approved list of what can be used. And if, let's say, the Strength Institute starts to make gym equipment like weights or, uh, or knee, knee sleeves, for example, and we want to be IPF approved, you just have to, you know, casually pay a quarter of a million dollars to get on their approved list or whatever it is, right? It's a bit more of a money-making scheme for them. Um, whereas in GPC, I think it's a bit, bit more, I'm not sure they have approved. As long as it's calibrated, it's calibrated. Okay. Um, the bars are a little different. They are going to all be um, for bench press and deadlift, 20 kilo bar. But in GPC and Capo, they'll use squat bars that are thicker and they weigh 25 kilos. Mm -hmm. They're a bit bigger and they have a little bit less flex to them. And they also use a deadlift bar, which is a bit thinner and longer and bends more. Mm -hmm. So the difference in bars, there are, is a difference in bars between the federations as well. I didn't appreciate the deadlift bar until I started using it regularly. Yeah, it basically, you can pull more slack out of it before the yeah. weights come off the ground. So you yeah. take that weight a little bit more gradually and you can... Um, uh, you know, lift some more weight. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. So allegedly. The, the favorite accessory. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that answers all the questions in variations there, um, Byron. Um, favorite accessory work. Now, I wasn't sure whether you meant um, that we like to include in our programs for clients or in our own programs. So how about you give a fa favorite accessory for your own training and a favorite oh, yeah. accessory for your client's training? Favorite that might be different. Favorite accessory for me personally, I really like like as an accessory accessory exercise. Yes. Um, I've started using it more and more with my clients from here because a couple of my clients from here are way more dedicated than any of my clients in the past and have been moving through a whole big old list of progressions and just getting generally good at stuff. Sots press. I really like it. It's a full squat with a bar on your back. So do a barbell squat, steep as you can, stay in your squat and press the bar up above your head from behind. It is in my opinion, like the king of all exercises and how demanding it is on your body. You have to have really good mobility through pretty much everything. And the type of strength that it allows you to have, like in the bottom of your squat and then also in your lockout strength above head, it, just, it works on a whole bunch of stuff. It's just important for a whole bunch of stuff. So I really, really like having that in my program. Um, in terms of accessory, it, it just helps with it. Everything. For you or for your clients or both? For me, I've started yes. doing it with my clients, but for my clients, my favorite accessory um, exercise, one of my mobility exercises is a kettlebell squat pull. It just covers all the bases and makes make someone squat a little bit deeper and hamstrings a little bit straighter and the back a little bit looser. It just, it just magically fixes everything. I like that. Hands down, I have everyone doing it. It's by far the best accessory exercise I have in my Nice. And what I'll, do, I'll try to do is I'll splice in a little couple of videos from my tutorials on, in here so people can actually yeah. see what we're talking about if yeah. they're watching. And if you are watching, subscribe. Yeah. Like and subscribe and like leave a comment for our, next, for our next question um, uh, segment. Um, all right. What are um, yours? What are your favorite accessories? What are my favorite accessories? For yourself and for your clients. Right. So I guess for myself, it does change. I don't have one that I always use over anything else. But what I'm really enjoying at the moment is my accommodating resistance training as a heavy overload technique. 
So using bands and chains. Ah, yeah, yeah. So at the moment, I was doing just some chain squats. I am really And basically, as well. the, the benefit of a chain squat is as once you, it's, all these chains are hanging from your body, so it's more to stabilize, but as you squat down, the chains bundle up on the ground. And they get lighter. So the bottom of your squat's nice and light, where you're in the most compromised position. But then as you squat up, usually the squat gets easier as you approach the top. Here, more weight is lifting off the ground, so it makes you actively drive harder. It's great for rate of force development and peak force output, which is really important when it comes to being strong and powerful. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, um, so the rate of force development is important for being powerful. The high force is important for being strong. And it really works on those. So at the moment, I'm loving, and you can get the same effect with bands and with chains. Mm -hmm. So I'm loving to have uh, so, and I actually kept combining them now because Dan Macri was bands, uh, doing and bands chains. and chains. Yeah. So when I was squatting at the bottom the other day, it was like 120 kilos at the bottom. And by the time I was at the top, it was about 300 kilos at the top. Yeah. So it's just conditioning my body for some really heavy top load. So I'm really enjoying that. I've been really enjoying that as well. This mm. is the, the first thing I've done just so long like this, just working on the banded squats. Um, it's, it's, it feels fun. It feels great. It feels hard like you might if you relax and don't pay attention for a second that your spine will collapse but just having that much extra weight at the top yeah. is super exciting i'm really liking it and um my number one accessory for my clients that i've started using more and more and more is a spotter bench press um, yeah. i really enjoy the spotter bench press now basically for those who don't know what a spotter bench is is as you bring the weight down you pause it, but you're holding it off your chest for a predetermined amount of, you know, one centimeter, two centimeters, three centimeters, whatever, whatever is written for you. Um, and the reason why I really like that is a lot of people, especially if they don't come from a powerlifting background where they have to pause the rep, don't have a lot of control when it's down there. They sort of bounce it off. And the problem is when you're learning how to bench press um, is that you don't have great bar path. It's different every time. Yeah. And it wastes a lot of energy and you don't have good control. But having to really engage your back and lats to support and bring that bar down slowly and hold it and not rest it on your chest, not rest it on the racks, but actually rest it, but everything's locked in tight. Mm. It teaches really great stabilizing and it teaches you a really good bar path on the way back up. So okay. I'm really enjoying Spoto Bench for my clients at the I've moment. I've never done or used that. We'll get, I, some, we'll I get some training in. I don't, and this is something else people don't know about me. I don't like giving my clients stuff that I haven't tried or done myself, not it's like, oh, I'll try it once and see how it goes. Like I'll do it for a long while before I give it to anyone. So that might be my my next thing yeah. to get into. So I think I think we'll go for I think we'll go for this one first. That's another first. that's another really good serious training one. And then this one also we, we, we could be a little because now Megan has to watch the entire episode to get her answer. <laughs> she has to wait until the Sorry. very very end. Sorry. <gasps> get the get thunder guns. Oh, get them. Oh my god. How did we miss this? Miss it. He's still here. Yeah, but he's the big flex. He's the mascot, dude. He's still here with us. Yeah, guess the get him out here. Right in front there. Yeah. Thunder guns. Thunder guns. So you put him right here. Oh my goodness. Well, I apologize for that. This whole podcast is ruined now. The first 50 minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Start again. That's it. <laughs> Reset. <laughs> All right, so Gavin. Gavin said, please explain RPE and percentage-based training. Um, their approaches and it's each one's viability. So you got this one? Do you want me to take the lead or what are your thoughts? Um, you, you go for this one. You're, you're, much, you're much better at explaining things than I am. All right. So basically RPE and percentage-based training, they do sort of go hand but in first hand. First of all, I feel like we should explain what RPE stands for. Is the for. rate of perceived exertion, which means how tough did that feel to you? So when we ask you... How'd that feel on a scale of one to 10? It's not just us being like, eh, how are you feeling? It's actually got a very specific purpose. Right. And, um, and 
they're both, I will stop saying they're both good. Percentage-based training is exactly what it sounds like. You pick a percentage of a certain rep range or a certain weight, and that's what you're going to train it for that day. Certain intensity, you're going to train at 85%. Well, an 85% intensity might correlate to an 8.5 out of 10 on an RPE scale, right? So they do have some crossovers here, guys. Now, basically, RPE is a rate of perceived exertion. So let's just go through a scale quickly. 10 would be absolute one rep max. That was 10 out of 10 or absolute max. It could be for a number of reps, absolute max. It was the most weight and I could not get an extra rep. Even if you tried. Even if you tried. It would not happen. And 9.5 would be, um, I could not get a second rep, but I might've been able to get a tiny bit more weight, mm -hmm. right? Uh, nine would be, I could probably get maybe one more rep, um, and or maybe a little bit more weight, right? So it goes down like this. And then like a seven might be, uh, seven could be, probably could do two to three more reps at that weight, all right? So you work your way down the scale. Um, some of the hangups or problems that you might find with an RPE scale is that sometimes our bodies lie to us. Mm -hmm. We might be feeling great. So that was freaking easy. It happens all the time. Hey, tell me out of 10 how hard that was. Six. I go up five kilos and they get half the reps. Like, yep. wait a minute, you said six out of 10. That should be super easy. So maybe that is a miscommunication on me and the clients. Like they should know what the scale actually means. And on, the, on the opposite of the scale as well, when people aren't as, especially with new people, people aren't confident with their ability. They don't actually know what they're capable of. And so you'd ask them that same question and they'd give you an eight or a nine when it's really a four or a five. And you know, like as a coach, seeing people train all day, every day, you get a pretty accurate understanding of how someone's body moves, how they look while they're training, what they can still achieve in the session. Some people don't feel like they're capable of pushing any harder, even though they very well are. So Next minute you load 20 more kilos in the bar and they get it with the same as the last just set, as right? Just as the last set, yeah. So that's where RP can be a little bit tricky is that you want to use it probably with more experienced lifters um, that understand their limitations and capabilities in the gym. Mm -hmm. Okay, percentage-based training, um, I, I like, and I, I feel like it's a little bit more in-depth. Um, people that are RPE-based might just start screaming at me now. We'll see. Um, <laughs> Do you feel like it's more specific? I feel like it can be. Okay. But so here's the, here, and there's obviously problems with percentage-based training too, right? Yeah. It's all based on averages, right? So basically, if your one rep max for a certain lift is 100 kilos, mm -hmm. all right? So 100% is 100 kilos. Yes. Okay. Now there is a percentage scale. So what, what should you be able to get for two? If you can bench press 100 for one, what should you be able to get for two? And there's a few studies out there that show that a two rep max is roughly 95% of your one rep max. Mm -hmm. And then each extra rep drops by another two and a half percent. Now this is based on averages. Mm -hmm. Some of the research is based on non-trained athletes versus trained. Like, there's a lot of problems with it too. There's a lot of variability. And right? if someone is stronger than they are powerful or more powerful than they are strong, it, also we'll to, it will also change. Yep. So let's say if I'm doing some quick math um, and someone benches 100 kilos and say, oh, someone does, let's say, three reps at 92 and a half. Mm -hmm. I know roughly their 1RM should be about 100 mm -hmm. based on averages, based yeah. on percentage-based training averages, right? But here's where it gets a little tricky as well. There's, I like to incorporate the RPE with... Um, with percentage-based. Okay. So if I'm saying, all right, you have to hit um, uh, th three reps uh, at 80% or 85% of your, uh, at 85% intensity, let's say. Mm -hmm. so, so that's 85% of your one rep max, right? No. Or 85% of? Because, because you're doing three reps. So it's 85% of your three rep max. 
Okay. So if you can bench 100 for one, mm -hmm. you should be able to bench 92 and a half for three. Mm -hmm. And I want you working at 80% of 92 and a half. Okay. So this is where people get stuck as well. So yep. sometimes there's extra little math going on involved. Yep. Yep. So that's how percentage-based training can work. Mm -hmm. So you're working not just a percentage of your 1RM. You can do that. Say, hey, do five reps at 80% of your 1RM. All right. Yep. But that's a bit more simple. Yep. I like to, to would be more, if I'm doing percentage-based training, I give them a range. So I say, all right, we're hitting three reps, which I know is going to be around 92% of their 1RM. And if I want them to train at 80% or 85%, let's say 80%, I'll give them a range of um, 77.5% to 82.5%. So they get this 5% leeway. Mm -hmm. So they might say, so this is our recommended weight, and but you can go sort of, two and a half kilos lighter, two and a half kilos more. Yeah, and so that's just a, basically to reg regulate um, things like pushing too hard in a session, not being able to get the numbers you want to get. Like you, you're, you're moving so much weight that you have that little bit of variability so that when you're feeling really good, you can push it a little bit more. But when you're not feeling really good, you can back the weights off a little bit yeah. in, in that session but still be working within the training sort of range and intensity that you want to keep constantly getting that week by week improvement so that you're not plateauing. And I played around with this a little bit when I, before the squat challenge, yep. jumped in on the strength specific training. It was the first time I used your style of programming for heavy squats like that. And yeah. some days you just feel like garbage. So you can back it off five or 10, or seven roughly. I would give always like five a, kilos, usually yeah. a 5% leeway either yeah, side. Yeah, 5% either so side. So if you're feeling then, great, you can go 5% more. Exactly. And so on one session I squat heavier, the next session I squat less, but I'm still working within that range. Within and then the range. it works. The next week I was stronger again and again. Yeah. And it's, it's a way of mainly regulating your... Correct. I would say, well, how, how would you explain it? Regulating yourself so that you can move past the plateau. Yes, you can keep improving. It's yeah. just constant improvement. Um, now, so look, they, they do both have hangups. I, like I said, I like to incorporate the both. And in a perfect world, that would be what it is. So if I was to say, train at 80% of your of, of three reps, mm. You know, we know that we're going 92.5% of your 1RM yeah. and we're going to train at 80% of that. And in a perfect world, if it's 80%, you would get it done. You'd be like, I probably had two more reps in the tank, yeah. which would yeah. correlate to an 8 out of 10 on an RPE scale. So they do go hand in hand, Gavin. They do. All right? They hand do. in hand. And I think it's important that people know that it's not just as simple as walking in the gym, writing down a couple of mon uh, like numbers and doing that session. It depends on how you feel on the day. Yeah. I had a day a couple of weeks ago where I just wasn't feeling good on my squat day. And so I did it the next day and it made a huge difference. Right. Sometimes you just got to deal with life. And so the RPE scale is actually like RPE and, and, and um, the intensity, training intensity, working hand in hand like that are fantastic. Because sometimes you do just need to change yep. what you do in a session. You can't just drive yourself into the ground because that's what the program says. Exactly. You got to listen to your body. That's right. Listen to your body. And then in terms of viability, Gavin, I, I guess um, one of the tricky parts is and I mentioned it before, you might be stronger than you are powerful, you might be more powerful than you are strong. So where they break down on the percentage-based program is, let's say um, you're a really powerful person. What type and, of muscle fibers you are? Right? Yeah, really fast twitch fibers, yeah. right? And you can bench press 100 kilos. Well, on a percentage-based training, that means you should be able to bench press 92 and a half for three. But let's say I say, give me your top three, you might only be able to bench 80 kilos. Mm -hmm. And that's because as you have to do more reps, we're more working at force as opposed to power. Um, what's going to happen is you might be just not as strong as you are powerful. So yeah. that scale, you need to take that with a pinch of salt. And that's why and that's... the range is important. Conversely, or opposite, it might be you might get uh, three reps at uh, 92 and a half. So be like, all right, you should be able to get a 1RM of uh, 100. And your 1RM might be 95. Like because you are stronger than you are powerful. Mm -hmm. So everyone is different. And it's important to know yourself 
and to know who you're working with if you're a coach um, on sort of how they lift. And it's really, really good way to figure all this stuff out for you specifically. Get a training journal and write down everything, everything you ever do forever because it's always good to look back over the year, five years when you did a certain exercise or a certain group of exercises or you're doing a certain style of training to be able to look back and see either how you've improved or, uh, or just how you performed uh, just so that you know your body, your body specifically, you know how you train at certain intensities and ranges and then you can slowly figure that stuff out for yourself. Absolutely. And that leads us to our final question. Megan. <laughs> it's finally here. Uh, it's finally here. She said, uh, why do we use ammonia and what exactly does it do to our bodies? And she asked this question because a little while ago, someone hit her with some smelling salts and it looked like a ghost ran up and slapped her in the face. Um, for people who don't know, it, it can be pretty rough. For, be, for people who don't know what, what smelling salts are, basically... Oh, I don't want to ruin this. How would you explain smelling salts to the average person who has never used them before All right, doesn't so, understand so what they are or why? What it's like is there's a little bottle or a capsule and, and you take the lid off and you <laughs> take a little sniff and it smells like, I don't know how to put it nicely, like a thousand cats have pissed in your face at once. <laughs> yeah, You know when people pass out and then they break a thing and they sniff it and it wakes them like up. Like old boxing movies and, and gridiron movies. That's was, ammonia smelling salts. That's ammonia smelling salts. It's very, very uh, intense, yep. very strong type of smelling salts yep. that snaps you back to reality right. when you leave and, it. Uh, and they're still actually used in first aid kits. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, I have some in my first aid kit, have not been used for first aid, used exclusively for lifting. <laughs> yeah, and so the, uh, the smelling salts that we have at the gym, there's a whole range of them. Um, yeah. but Gav, uh, who Gavin is the, um, question the, the about connoisseur. About um, uh, intensity-based training, he, he he's almost I half expect him one day to, to walk out the gym to leave, and he's going to turn around in a trench coat. Be like, you want some smelling salts? <laughs> yes, <laughs> smelling salts. He's got so many of them. And he really, really enjoys it. Some you people get, love it. Some people hate it. It's just yeah. really it you, comes down to preference. You I can think. get some slightly different flavors. So you, we had one that was like a little eucalyptusy, one that was a little cold, one that was like a spicy cinnamon smell. But in the end, they all just slap you in the face. One smells like sulfur from hell itself. Yeah, they, but they all they, of really rough ones. Yeah, some nicer ones. They all slap you in the face for so sure. Why do you use right smelling so salts? So basically, why do you use? And them? Why would you give them to someone else? Yeah. to use? it's because it's. I guess I'll describe you. It, it it pumps you up. It puts you in the zone for a big lift. That would be me explaining it in layman's terms, mm -hmm. right? And when Megan asks, what's it actually doing to our body? I'm like, I actually don't know. So, so I have like a, a, a loosely based theory. Well, I can tell I you exactly why. Let, let yeah. me have it. Because basically um, I, I put on my old, um, my old university hat here and got yep. back onto the old interwebs and, and um, searched a bunch of studies. And so first of all, uh, ammonia is a respiratory stimulant. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what they would um, Which label is it classified as. as what? What is a respiratory stimulant? Exactly. Well, it's a stimulant yeah. that you take by smelling. Yeah. Okay, yeah. as opposed so to injecting or something. But like. what does it actually do? Like, well, I went back to explain it, yeah, okay, So it actually okay. doesn't open up your airway. So this is where they did some testing. So Interesting. Um, basically, when they looked at what it actually does to you physiologically, mm -hmm. right? Um, well, f so let me, let me actually explain what they did first because there's a couple different studies. Okay. One study was they looked at couple of people with one RM, mm -hmm. they gave them either uh, smelling salts or a placebo, which in the study was Vicks, all right? Okay. Um, similar thing, opens up your airways, mm -hmm. right? And they made them do as many reps as possible at 80 or 85% of that one RM. Okay. And there was no significant difference. Okay. Okay. 
So people are like, well, why do you use it then? If it smells like thousand cats pissing in your face. <laughs> so, because it works. Because the next study looked at, looked at rate of force development and peak force. All right? Mm -hmm. So, and there was a significant difference when you took the ammonia before a one max effort lift. Okay. Okay? Mm -hmm. So basically what that's telling you is it's more anaerobic than it is aerobic, mm -hmm. the effect. All right? Um, it helps with really high force and force rate of development movements. So something like an Olympic clean and jerk or a snatch or a powerlifting squat bench deadlift where it's mm -hmm. one max effort, bang, get it done. Yep. Right? It will work better there than it would with a multi-rep like exercise. Like eight more than Correct. Nine. Yep. Right? So, so does it work? Yes, in the right circumstances. Mm -hmm. Okay? What does it actually do? So then they looked at two different, um, two different things. They looked at what it does to your lungs. Mm -hmm. um, when you take ammonia, it actually has no effect in the lungs themselves. They do not actually uh, absorb more oxygen, mm -hmm. um, nothing like that. Um, you're not getting more oxygen in. You know, it might clear your nose a little bit, but not so really. There's nothing in terms of what it could do to increase your performance nothing, that way. Nothing in terms of, of that. What it does affect is your heart rate jumps on average about 10 beats per minute from where pre-smell, mm -hmm. okay? Um, this is looking at a study that looked at all of the effects on the heart. So the lungs didn't really have any effect. But the heart it did. It bumped you up about uh, 10 beats or 12 beats per minute, I think it was. Which isn't huge. No, but it, but it's, you know, it is what some, it is. If, 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 if you need to get hyped up yeah. and, and you go an extra 10%, that's that's a good thing. Yep. Even an extra 5% is big. Yeah, you especially know, when, you, when you're looking at that end range athlete. Correct. That extra 5% means you go from fourth to first. Yeah. yeah. And it also looked at blood flow velocity through the arteries. And that also oh. increased. So what it's doing is the heart goes faster, and I'm assuming that is because this. Uh, I'm assuming that the velocity comes from a stronger stroke volume, so it contracts harder, so it's pushing more blood through your body. So that is the physiological effect. You get this instant little, whew, all right, the heart rate goes up, my blood, heart's pumping faster, and I'm amped up and I'm ready to go. And that is what people describe as it wakes me up, I feel just like, I'm like ready to go. It's because the heart's going up and the blood's pumping faster and for a very short time. A very short time. So yeah. it's it's not like it, it's not like when you t take pre workout, for example, and you feel crazy for thirty minutes or more. This is ten seconds, ten, twenty seconds, seconds. It's maybe, not, yeah. maybe, not even. Yeah. So yeah. So that is what ammonia is. That's um, really cool. So so that's interesting to what it actually does. Yeah. But then why do we use ammonia? Right. Why so, do you use ammonia? So I use ammonia um, rarely. I use it before big lifts. I don't use it before just any average set mm -hmm. um, because I feel like, yeah, it gets me in the zone. Now, this is what they said as well is that um, people, even on the cases where they had no significant effect, mm -hmm. like when they're doing the high reps, the people that took it still felt like it helped them. Mm -hmm. So anecdotally, if they said it felt good, even though statistically there was no statistical significance, they felt it was better. Yeah. So whether that is just um, pure placebo for volume training or for reps, but it made them feel like they were more awake, more aroused, more ready to, to get in the zone to lift heavy. Yeah. Um, and that's basically why I would use it. I use it usually only for maybe one to three reps on a really heavy set. Yeah. yeah. Um, and one, because yes, it feels like I'm in the zone and that might be a bit more placebo or anecdotal, mm -hmm. but as the studies show that, you know, for max effort, it, it does, does actually help. Yeah. So that's why I use it. Yeah. So pretty much exactly the same on my end as well. I, I, I really... Very rarely have any training I, aids. I, I've seen you taking ammonia more and more, sir. More and more, I have been enjoying it with the heavier training. But usually, just caffeine, shot of coffee, a bit of honey in it, you know, a little bit of, little bit of sugar, a little bit of caffeine, everything I need right there. And 
I'm pretty focused. I'm pretty good at getting my head in the game when I need to train hard just because I'm always working in gyms. People are always talking to you. There's always the music that you don't get to choose, all that sort of stuff. So I'm good at just hyper-focusing on what I'm doing. But but sometimes you're just having a crap day and you still need to do a big session. And you ideally would like someone to walk past and slap you in the face and just get your head in the game right before a lift. It, I find when I really need to get the let out, it just gives me that... I can't think about anything else. The stuff hits you so hard that all you can do is focus on what you're about to do. Yeah. It's just I find a way for me to just get all the way invested into what I'm doing and not be distracted by anything else. I also find that when I take a big old whiff of those smelling salts, I can't think about how hard it is. All I can think about is how much my face hurts. Yeah. So it's a good way to just distract yourself, I find, and just, yeah, it's just that, men that mental game. It yeah. helps with that a little bit. Um, also, just as a, as a side note there, um, where it was looking at what it did to your heart, it did not increase blood pressure any more than the placebo did. Uh, they, they both increased when you did the rep, which is what you would expect. Yeah. You're lifting a heavy weight, your blood pressure goes up, but it didn't raise your blood pressure anymore. Velocity. It was, so it was the more so- What's between blood velocity and blood pressure then? How, how is that not- I guess one, they're looking at how fast the blood is moving through you, and one would be how much actual pressure there is on the walls of the artery. And again, I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure that's the difference. Yeah. So, um, but they did say, you know, if you have heart issues, uh, maybe check with your doctor first to make sure it's all right. I'm not telling you to go and sniff um, all the ammonia in the world, but if you want to give it a crack and you're a healthy individual, um, use uh, safely and responsibly. That is, that is actually pretty interesting. So yeah, yeah if you if you if you're at the strength institute and you've been wondering about the smelling salts and your programs ramping up a little bit and you want to give it a try, just ask. The the stuff here is if it's for everyone here. And if you're not from the gym and you want to get on some sniffing salts as well. I didn't actually realize that there was such a huge range of all sorts of yeah, different things you can get in, from. We should just put them in touch with Gavin. Different, yeah, he, he, he loves the stuff. It's, yeah. it's great, yeah. Um, but as, as far as I know, I don't think I've ever known of anyone becoming injured or sick or anything like that from the sniffing salts as far as I can uh, tell. No, They're not no. harmful, really. But I can't say I can't say I don't want to say it. I can't say it. I'm going to myself. Heads up. But in my personal experience, completely anecdotally, and don't take my advice because I'm not a medical professional, I have never seen anyone no. deal with any health issues no. because of it. Perfect. Always check with your doctor first if you're unsure. Anyhow, guys, that will conclude our first ever questions only. Questions only. Um, right. Ask the questions, question anything. Uh, leave an idea for the name of this podcast because it's going to be a continuing sort of theme in podcast. On this come. one in particular, right? Your name suggestion for what this should be called. And then think of some questions. Take some time. Think Please. about it. Uh, we actually really did enjoy this. This was a pretty good. It was really fun. But also fun subscribe if you haven't already. Like Do and it. subscribe. Like and subscribe, everybody. Share it. Share Woo! this. Thank, Thank you, you much, friends. Tell your mum about it. Tell your dad. If you got your neighbor. I don't know if you know your neighbor that well. You know, it's good to, it's good to, this community is important. Tell everyone. <laughs> See you later, guys. Have Bye, a good one. Guys. Bye. See you later.